You're listening to the Ashwagandha Advantage Podcast with Francine Schoenwetter, Content Marketing Director. This podcast is sponsored by KSM 66, the world's best ashwagandha. Hello and welcome to Ashwagandha Advantage Podcast. I'm Fran Schoenwetter and joining us today via telephone is herbalist and product developer Blair Edwards. Our podcast is brought to you today by KSM 66 Ashwagandha, world's best ashwagandha. A little bit more about our speaker, Blair. Blair is an herbalist educator and product developer formulator based in Los Angeles, California. Her passion is creating efficacious products that highlight the intersection of plants and the human experience with an emphasis on herbs and mental health. She works as both a consultant in the food, beverage, and supplement industry as well as an herbalist on a person-by-person basis. A little bit about our topic today. We're going to be talking about supporting women's health and life stages naturally with botanicals and touch specifically upon ashwagandha for women's health. As one of the great Rasayana herbs within Ayurveda, ashwagandha supports many, many life functions. Traditional formulation coupled with the latest research is validating specific usage for specific women's health needs. So with that, let's get right into our questions and conversation with Blair. Hey, Blair, thanks for joining us today. Hey, hey thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about the plant. Great. So with women's health concerns evolving throughout their and our lives, can you talk to us a little bit about life stages and, and how modern life stress may affect health and balance for women specifically? So there's a lot to think about. Um, as an herbalist, I I have to say that I always treat the person first before I treat the quote unquote disease or the condition, right? Because every different person's menopause is going to look different, just like every person's cycle is different. And the same goes true for like, you know, anxiety and depression, right? It's different for all of us. But when it comes to the different um, phases of life, there's there's so much going on internally. And I have to say, there's a lot going on externally as well. I'm definitely someone who is a strong proponent and your environment affects what's going on in your body. So within the physiological changes that are happening, you know, on a biological level, I think it's interesting too, that usually during those time periods that our bodies are changing, our lives are also changing on an external level. And so I love that we're talking about ashwagandha because it's an adaptogen and, um, you know, I can kind of go into a little bit of what that means, but it's really there to help promote homeostasis in the body. And whenever we're going through changes in life and life is changing and things are going up and down, if we can maintain that internal equilibrium and if we can reduce the jaggedness and the roughness that stress can bring to our mind, body, and spirit, if we can reduce that and kind of have a smooth transition, then any change is manageable. Well, the tendency when we think about women's health and supporting women's health, I think often puts a focus on hormones. And I guess I'd like to just ask you about that. Is it is it always yeah. about hormones? Or if it's about hormones for women and life mm-hmm. stages, well, what is it about other things that are happening externally affecting our, our hormonal well-being? Totally. It's a great question. I think that a lot of times women's health does get pinned down to like, let's just focus on hormones. And 
if you've had PMS and you know hormones are real and they really do affect how you're feeling. Um, there's, there's no denying that. Um, and, but that's not just the whole story, right? Like we don't want to just support the endocrine system. We want to support the nervous system. We want to support the immune system. We want to support the liver. And I mean, part of why we, especially for like women who are going through hormonal changes, like we really want to support the liver because the liver is the one kind of dealing with those hormones and, you know, processing what our body needs and what it doesn't need anymore. So, yeah, I would say that I think supporting the hormones is really important, um, but supporting the hormones isn't something that's only important when we're going through something that's been dubbed like a time of hormonal shift. Like if we look at stress and like the stress hormones, like cortisol, like that, that is such a, um, I don't want to say red flag, it's not the right word, but that is such a, um, I guess I'll say like, that's just like when we're stressed out that's such a good opportunity to look at the reality that hormones are affecting us on a daily basis. Um, because when we have elevated cortisol, you know, our, our immune system is compromised. We're probably not sleeping as well. Our digestion is impaired. So supporting our hormonal health through all stages of life on a daily basis is really important because if our hormones are out of whack, then we're not going to be feeling even keeled. And if our hormones are out of whack, when we're not going through something like menopause or PMS, then when those things come, we're going to feel it even more. Well, as an herbalist, you're not focused on specifically or necessarily treating or working with a single herb. What about your approach and considerations when you're designing blends that support women's health um, over varying stages? How do, you, how do you approach that from a formulator standpoint? I love that question. Yeah. So um, exactly. So especially as a formulator, right? Like I'm producing or I'm formulating products that are for like a large market. I'm not getting to sit down with the client on a one-on-one -on -one basis and find out um, what their sleep pattern looks like, what foods are they eating. Um, so when I'm formulating um, large scale, I'm really looking at whole system support, right? So you have to kind of look at, okay, on average, what are people experiencing? And on average, where are the areas that need nourishment and where are the areas that maybe need a little bit of um, like down regulation? So I usually like to formulate things. I never like to formulate something that throws you totally in one direction. For me, the, the goal is always that balance and that homeostasis and that feeling of like groundedness. So when I'm formulating, say, for a women's product, of course, we're going to have things in there that are supporting um, the endocrine system and then like, uh, like the hormones that are involved with that but also supporting the nervous system because the reality is like it is 2020, it is a stressful world out there. And if we're constantly under chronic stress and that itself is going to um, dysregulate our endocrine system, does that answer your question or do you want me to maybe answer it in another way? No, 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 that's good. I mean, I, I, I guess I'd like you to elaborate a little bit more about sort of the thinking behind traditional approaches in that way versus say, um, modern medical approaches to women's challenges that focus more on treatment of uh, in a disordered totally. way. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that question. So I think a lot, um, I think a big difference with herbal medicine is one that a big emphasis is on prevention, right? So like, if we know that these changes are coming, or like, you know, if someone has, um, if someone knows that they have a really stressful cycle, 
instead of just giving them something, which obviously we wouldn't have an herbal medicine to like block them from having a cycle at all, where we realize, okay, maybe you have more anxiety and insomnia. So we're going to give them more nervous system tonics and maybe some more hypnotics or sedatives. Um, in terms of menopause, if we know that someone is having, um, again, insomnia, that's like a common one we see, or irritability or dryness, then we can give herbs that are supporting the body. Um, and I think that supporting the body and coming back into like, again, like a homeostasis. But I think what herbal medicine can do that's really amazing is herbal medicine, in my opinion, is about like helping the body do what it knows it can do as opposed to like giving, um, giving a medication that does it for you, if that makes sense. So if a lot of the symptoms that you're having are because you have, um, you know, you have a dysregulated, um, you know, whatever, your hormones are a little bit dysregulated because you're chronically stressed. And so we're not going to give you an herb that's going to like supplement estrogen. We might give you an herb that is going to help you have more normalized stress levels so that you're not chronically in fight or flight. Or we might give you an herb that's going to help you feel a little bit calmer so that your life is more manageable. That would be my response to that. Can you talk to me a little bit about this concept of dry and moist within a traditional Ayurvedic framework, I think it's not necessarily what people might on the surface think that that's about. So it's not as simple. And I'm personally, I'm not a, uh, like Ayurveda is not my main focus or my specialty, but every great system of herbal medicine does have a system of energetics. Um, and exactly, it's not just like, oh, you're someone who's dry, you always have like dry mouth and your skin is cracked. Although if you do have like, if you do run more dry, and you do have dry skin, that might be, you know, a, a point in the right direction that you do have a drier constitution. Um, it is, it's a way of looking at the overall system. So if you're thinking about someone who is really dry, then right, we might have dry skin, we might have, um, you know, craving fluids all the time. Um, you know, dry mucus, furred tongue, those types of things. Um, and then if we have someone who is running more damp, then, you know, maybe they're, they're more, um, more likely to have like edema and they have, you know, a lot of urination or, you know, they have a really wet tongue, swollen tongue, or when they get sick, there's like a lot of mucus. So that's kind of how you would look at it. And it's never like, so if you were dealing with someone who's like, okay, I'm having a lot of dryness, right? Um, you would never be like, here's a formula with all these moistening herbs, because that's just going to swing them in the totally other direction. You would, I shouldn't say you, I would say me, I would, I would do a formula that has, you know, it has maybe 60 to 70% more drying herbs for them. Um, if they're dealing with excess mucus and then some that are more neutral and you can kind of tell the energy of a plant um, by tasting it. That's one of like the best ways that you can taste, uh, you can tell. Um, but in the case of like women's health, right? Like the reality is that there are some situations like for example, menopause where you're going to be dealing with more dryness in certain areas um, regardless of your constitution. Like, you know, that might be true. And so it, it can be helpful to take herbs that produce specific and localized effects, if that makes sense. Sure. So there's there's kind of a constitutional approach and a and a condition approach. Yes. Yes. And that's one of the greatest benefits of getting to work with people one on one is that you get to know their constitution 
and you get to kind of treat what we call the low hanging fruit. Because if someone comes into your office with like, terror, you know, they have a cold and there's tons of mucus, you wouldn't say, well, actually the thing is your skin is dry. So you actually have a dry constitution. So I'm gonna give you moistening herbs. The reality is right now, that's not what they're dealing with. So treat, you know, treat the, you know, the low hanging fruit first and then you kind of move into the more constitutional medicine. So where does ashwagandha fit um, again as a as a one of the great herbs that supports vitality and and life? Um, where does yeah. ashwagandha fit within that kind of uh, dynamic between constitutionality and and condition? Ashwagandha is a really amazing herb. Um, I said the word earlier, but it's an adaptogen, which. Um, any constitutional formula that I'm doing, and honestly, sometimes any acute formula is going to have an adaptogen in there just because of their normalizing effect on the endocrine nervous system and immune system. Um, but ashwagandha, you know, I don't know if you've ever like tasted it, but it's a little bit warming. It's a little drying. It's, you know, it's kind of bitter. It's kind of sweet. Um, but it's definitely a more, and it's interesting, right? Because you would think, oh, an herb that has a more warming energy maybe that's a more stimulating herb. But what's amazing about ashwagandha is that it's, it's I wouldn't call it stimulating, but it, it on its own, I would, I would say stimulating with an asterisk and then explain what stimulating means. It's, it's stimulating through a deeply nourishing action. So it's, you know, it's stimulating in the way that drinking water after you work out is stimulating. If you don't have the water after you work out, you're gonna feel really exhausted. But you're going to, if you do have it and you, you know, nourish yourself, you're going to feel more energized. Um, and it can really be helpful for people who are, um, who are dealing with feelings of like weakness, depletion, fatigue. And so when you come out of those depleted states, it can feel like you are more stimulated. But like you said, it's really more a sense of vitality. Um, and that's what I love about this, this plant is it's not just, you know, it's not like caffeine where now you have the jitters and you need to go like clean, you know, clean the kitchen and get your whole to-do list done and wash the car. It's more nourishing in the sense of, you know, you feel grounded and embodied and you feel, uh, you know, you feel a sense of vitality. Um, I find it really helpful. Um, again, like I said, like for both, you know, constitutional and for acute, because it also has a calming action and you know, the science, the science has shown that it has that calming action. And then there's, you know, the 3000 plus years of uh, traditional medicine, which in my opinion is just as validating as the science. Well, I can relate to that kind of hyperactivity <laughs> that you just described when there's so <laughs> much to do and you feel like you have to get yeah. it all done in too little time. Yeah. And ashwagandha yeah. definitely can create a nice even handed sense of energy. I want to yeah. um, ask you about some of the science that's supporting some specific benefits for yeah, talk about uh, it. for ashwagandha. I, I've been uh, covering and reading about a number of different studies using KSM 66 ashwagandha that indicate women right. experience benefits for all life stages, really, uh, for sexuality, yeah. including improved libido, arousal, overall satisfaction, and also for menopause paired with other mm -hmm. Ayurvedic or other botanicals, minimizing symptoms, and even for weight, reduction in body weight, food cravings, right. and even perceived reduction in stress and and measurable cortisol level support. Right. So I'm wondering if you can comment specifically about why ashwagandha appears so 
I think you touched upon this a little bit, but if we could just talk a little bit more about, yeah. again, the focus on these women's conditions, why ashwagandha is so universally supportive. Sure. So, I mean, in my opinion, it comes down to its adaptogenic activity, right? So regardless of, regardless of your, um, your gender or your sex, adaptogens help promote homeostasis. And so a lot of the things that you talked about, right, like it's helping reduce stress-related food cravings. It's helping, um, it's helping reduce stress and anxiety. It's helping increase sexual arousal. Um, and also, you know, the studies got pretty specific. It also increased the quality of orgasm and satisfaction, which is, that's pretty amazing for an herb to do that because that, you know, that it's, it's just, it's the science that's on this plant is incredible because, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of plants are lacking in the science. Um, but yeah, the things you talked about, I mean, so for me, these, these abil this ability for this plant to help with so many phases of life for women does boil down to its adaptogenic activity. So it, so adaptogens, part of the definition for something to be an adaptogen and ashwagandha absolutely is one. There's a lot on the market that's called adaptogens that are not, but that's another podcast topic. Um, for something to be an adaptogen, it means that it works through the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the HPA axis, and it has a normalizing effect on the endocrine the nervous and the immune system. So a lot of the things that you touched on, right? Like um, the reduction in the perceived stress scale, the decrease in cortisol, the stre uh, stress hormone, the, um, the decrease in menopausal um, symptoms, which was both um, somatic and physiological complaints for people dealing with menopausal symptoms. A lot of those things can be tied to its adaptogenic activity, right? Because it's having a normalizing effect on the hormones. It's also one of the things that adaptogens do that I think is absolutely incredible is that they are stress protective. So they're helping our bodies have less of a physiological response to stress. So the reality is for most people who are going through menopause and most people, you know, especially women who are moms and who are working, there's so much pressure. There's so much stress. And to be able to take something that is kind of like a, um, is a preventative me measure for your body against those things is really incredible. And I think that is, again, like I talked about herbal medicine being preventive care. I think that's really amazing because stress shows up differently, right. For each, pe each person, like some people are going to go towards, um, you know, they really feel it in their mood. Maybe those are the people that are going to the, you know, the, the food related cravings when they're stressed out. Some people are going to feel it in their immune system. They're the people that get sick. Um, there are other people who are going to, you know, they feel it during their cycle. They have really intense cycles and their stress is manifesting in a hormonal way. Um, or maybe they get like hormonal acne, things like that. So I think a lot of what boils down um, or a lot of the causation for ashwagandha having such a broad spectrum of benefits is its adaptogenic activity, which makes it really different from a lot of the other herbs that we see um, in common formulas like Vitex Berry or um, Black Cohosh or red raspberry leaf, these are amazing plants, but they don't have that broad spectrum activity. Um, and they don't have that normalizing activity. And I think that's really what sets ashwagandha apart. Also, the fact that it's a calming adaptogen, because most of the women that I know are doing a billion things a minute, and to actually feel calm, that's like the greatest gift of all. I'm ready to drink an ashwagandha cocktail right now. I feel like that's what I should be having. I just want to ask you um, one more specific question before we get sure. towards the wrap up here. And um, for women's health, are there any times in life or any condi conditions where 
consuming ashwagandha would be contraindicated for women? So the thing with ashwagandha is that it is wonderful for people dealing with hypothyroidism. But if you are taking medication for hypothyroidism, or you are someone who has hyperthyroidism, I would caution against that, especially if you are taking like a T4, T3 uh, medication, like Synthroid or Cytomel. Um, I would talk to your doctor. Um, that is the main thing. There are people who are extremely sensitive to nightshades. And, you know, it is in the nightshade family, but to me, that's like, all right. I mean, if you know, like, your certified nightshade sensitivity, be cautious. But if you're, like, you know, doing Whole30 or whatever, I don't think you need to not take ashwagandha. Um, but, yeah, I would mostly say if you're dealing with hypothyroidism and you're taking medication for it, or if you're dealing with hyperthyroidism, then I would, you know, I would proceed with caution. Or the amazing thing is you could work with your doctor, possibly take ashwagandha, and then lower your medication dose. But that is obviously something you would talk to your licensed medical physician about. Well, that's, yeah, good advice. And um, <laughs> I just I just really wanted to touch on that, too, just to make sure that, you know, that we give a well-rounded look at, at how to really utilize ashwagandha for, for women. And I just want to wrap yeah. us up here and, and open it up to you and just ask you if there's any other added considerations about ashwagandha and women's health or and vitality, anything you'd like to leave us with before we do close? So I would say if you're a woman who is dealing with feeling, um, regardless of where you are in the, in the cycle of life, the circle of life, if you are feeling weak, depleted, fatigued, if you're struggling with stress or anxiety, this, this might be the adaptogen for you. I know that we have a tendency to think, oh, I'm feeling really tired. I need something really stimulating. But I really find that when we're feeling that, you know, wired and ready, you know, we just want energy, sometimes what we need is actually to slow down and to take something that's a little bit nourishing. And so I would say, you know, if you're building a formula for yourself, I think ashwagandha is a great one to start with because it's calming and, and it's nourishing and it's going to help kind of smooth out the hormonal fluctuations, if you will. And I would also say it's really nice to know where your ashwagandha is coming from. That is one of the things I love about KSM uh, 66 is the transparency. So, um, you know, know where your know where your herbs are coming from. That's important. Yeah, ask your uh, ask your supplier and uh, yes, yeah, make sure you're clear and documented. Wow, yeah. that's fantastic, Blair. Thank you so much for such a great overview. Um, really, it's uh, ashwagandha. KSM 66 is definitely a botanical that that should be incorporated on a on a regular basis into anybody's yeah. dietary regimen. So that's another thing. You know, there's some herbs you see people talking about for women's health, like Donggui, and you know, they're like, oh, you know, take it, but don't take it six days before your cycle. And for me, just like with how much else I have going on, like I can't fit that into my color coordinated Google calendar. So that's what I love about ashwagandha is you can take it, you know, every day, every month. Um, and another thing about it being adaptogen means that it is like it's non-toxic. It's super safe to take long term. Um, and so, yeah, give it a try, you know, definitely give it a try. And we talked about the studies like it, it has literally been shown to help reduce stress and anxiety and improve memory, improve like, you know, quality of orgasm I just why wouldn't you take it <laughs> I don't know I don't know why you wouldn't <laughs> awesome. well thank you so much Blair for for joining us today and and really thank you to all of our listeners as well for tuning in and 
Finally, thank you to our sponsor, KSM 66 Ashwagandha, world's best ashwagandha. You've been listening to the Ashwagandha Advantage podcast. For more information on this and other related health benefits, please visit us at ashwagandhaadvantage.com.